It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, it's time for another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Find us online at livingworth.com. We're going to put Brian's two decades of experience in the financial services industry to the test on today's show. Although the topic for today's program, I have to admit I'm a little in the dark on I've only really been given some prep today that the headline of the show is Deadly Dollars. Deadly Dollars. And I really have no idea what it's all about. So I'm going to kind of relish and enjoy this opportunity, Brian, to have you sort of lead the charge and uh, kind of come along the journey with you as if I were just sort of a regular listener. This should be a lot of fun today. Yeah, we're, we're going to go deep into the weeds with taxes today and hopefully not making it so boring that people can't understand it. We're going to bring it to life. But there are some traps lurking out there that many people aren't aware of, and Ooh. we want to make them aware of those today. Deadly dollars, taxes, traps. I'm intrigued and uh, looking forward to what all is in store. But before we dive into that, what's going on in your life? Uh, everybody back in school, things moving and shaking in the Brian Doe household? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to get back. The girls started back, but uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be touch and go to see if they remain in class or have to go virtual and... Um, they're enjoying the social aspect of being back in school. So that that's a plus, but uh, bigger news. You want to hear the really good news, Walter. M- more important and bigger news than your children. Yes. What is it? I, I think <laughs> I have found a potential solution to my pizza oven dilemma. Oh, very nice. I mean, this has been kind of sad summer, not having the pizza dough in operation when, you know, the podcast is called Make the Dough Rise. We haven't been able to really make the dough rise at all this summer. Yeah, I, I've been sitting dead in the water and I was on Instagram and scrolling around it. I don't know if it was a link or I clicked through or how I found it, but I saw this video of this guy making real Neapolitan pizzas in this little, what looked like one of those little home portable ovens. There's a bunch of knockoffs out there, a bunch of wannabes, I call them. And they're home kit ovens that are supposed to make a wood-fired oven or brick oven type pizza. But they're, they're all cheap and they look poorly made. And I've watched the pizzas coming out of them. They, they didn't look real. These looked legitimate. And he had, the guy actually had two of them and it was a food truck. So here's this guy making volume and oh. he's doing it at... Uh, at a commercial level, and he's got these little portable, uh, Gosney is the name of the company, and Rockbox, R-O-C-C-B-O-X, if you want to go look it up. But it's a little 50-pound portable oven with a ceramic deck and this flame that you, you hook up to a gas line, and it, it shoots a nice flame up there. But it legitimately gets up to 900 to 925 degrees, which you would typically get from a real wood-burning oven. The the pizzas were cooking perfectly. And so for the cost of trying to get my other oven situated and get a place to park it and get fires going and all that stuff, for about 500 bucks, I'm going to try out the rock box, see if I can get real uh, pizzas out of it. So it should be here by Friday. Uh, we're, we're recording this uh, on August 20th, just just for point of reference. So the new oven should be here Friday. I will test it out this weekend. And so the next time we get back, I can get back to you and see if, if this is a, it's not going to be a perfect solution, 
But sometimes if you can get 80, 90% of the way there is good enough. And that's what I'm hoping for. Nice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm getting hungry and my stomach is starting to rumble just talking about pizza. And I went and Googled Rockbox Oven and I'm seeing all these pictures of pizzas coming out of the oven. So I'm done for for today's episode. My stomach's going to be ground the rest of the time. Sign you up. huh? <laughs> Sign me up. Absolutely. Uh, well, I look forward to hearing how that testing goes and if it gets you back up and running when it comes to uh, cooking up some delicious pizzas. That's fantastic. All right. Well, let's dive into today's topic, Brian. Deadly dollars. All right, what's this all about? Well, if you look at the tax code, and if you've been going along and, and earning W-2 income, uh, wages, that, that type of thing, you may be very familiar with the incremental tax system or the progressive tax system where once you cross certain income thresholds, your tax on the next dollar goes up. And while you have a single source of income, the incremental tax code that we have or the progressive tax code that we have may make perfect sense that if I, if I cross this line, I'm going to pay, you know, a higher rate on the next dollars. And while you have a single source of income, that's pretty straightforward and true to the calculation. But once you have multiple sources of income, and, and we'll get into the the details and the traps later, you can trigger unexpected taxes, surcharges, and premiums that aren't on the straight up tax code. I have overwhelmingly found that people are not aware of these. So not aware of some of these, uh, not so much opportunities, but as you're talking about more so some of these traps. Yeah. And so, so let me give you an example. If, and I'll, I'll start with a real straightforward one. So if you had $75,000 of income, okay, gross income, if you had that from just ordinary income or working wages, your net into your pocket would be about $69,500. Now, I'm going to give you an example that's very rare, probably never actually going to happen. But if you had two high income earners that had earned at the top of the social security wage uh, brackets and had paid the max in for the 10 year time period, if you had a couple that had just $75,000 worth of social security income, then that number sounds huge. But if you'd hit the max social security earnings level for, for 10 years in a row, your max income benefit for social security would be about $3,400 a month. So it's conceivably possible if you had a, a dual high income couple that they could have a $75,000 a year uh, social security benefit. And that's all that they had. They would actually net $75,000. Now take a more normal situation, if you had $45,000 worth of social security income and you had contributed to your 401k and now you had $30,000 worth of IRA income, you're actually triggering more of your social security benefit to be taxable. And so your net would be $73,300 roughly. So same dollar amounts, but now we're, we're getting different net results. Let me give you two more examples here just to, to show you the advantage of, of advanced planning and getting the right types of income set up. If 
this same couple, instead of having contributed to 401ks and maybe they were exempt from social security under some, some scenario or retired early and didn't have social security, if they had all of their income coming from capital gains and preferential dividends and they earned $75,000, their tax would be zero. They would net out all 75,000. And the same is true for a Roth. If you had contributed to a Roth and wanted to pull money out of the Roth IRA, again, you would net out the full 75,000. So you can see that depending on which types of income that you have, the dollar amount at pretty reasonable income rates here can change by thousands of dollars. And then that becomes, I mean, that's tangible dollars if you're thinking about what you're trying to live on in your retirement years. If we're talking the difference between five, six, seven thousand dollars a year, just in this example, that you know, that's a big difference in somebody's lifestyle. That's a big trip. That's a couple of trips to see the grandkids. That that relates into real life experiences. So that's interesting to see those. It could be twelve 12 pizza ovens, 12 rock 12 boxes. pizza ovens, yeah. That's a great point. That. That's a great <laughs> point. With a little advanced planning, you can just buy all the pizza ovens up in, in you know th- throughout Georgia. You'll just be in good yeah, shape at that go. point. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying we need to kind of focus not so much on the beginning number, but that output. So not just necessarily the input number, but the we need to focus on the net or the output after taxes is taken out to get a true feeling of what we're really working with in terms of our spending power. Yeah, yeah. So, so focusing on the bottom line and what's actually going to make it into your, to your pocket. We can drive the income number up, but that may be at a cost or a detriment that's to the tune of thousands of dollars. And this, well, let, let me give you a, a, a story that uh, at the most basic level that really illustrates this. So we've talked a little bit about social security income. Most people are not aware, and this this goes back to the 1980s when they previous date when Social Security was in jeopardy, uh, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill came up with a compromise that they would not reduce Social Security benefits, but they would make them taxable above a certain income level. And so right now, those numbers are probably in the $32,000 to $44,000 range. You you can uh, get into a situation where a portion 50% 50% or 85% of your social security benefit is, is taxable. Well, I had a client where they were at a stage where they only had social security income and they were paying no taxes. But he had a highly concentrated stock position for the company that he had worked at and that company was having some trouble. And so he, he really need, wanted and needed to sell the stock and it was going to trigger a capital gain. Well, he was familiar with the idea that at this social security income level, my tax was zero. And when we looked at capital gains for the income tax bracket he was in, the capital gains tax rate was zero. Now, given those two true facts, what do you think his tax bill was? Well, it seems like it should have been uh, 0%, but you said that this episode had a lot of trap doors in it. So I have a feeling I'm falling in one. (laughs) Yeah. So we have now crossed a threshold where the the calculation is called provisional income. And it's a separate little calculation that's taking place on the the tax form. And half of your social security benefit and your capital gains and your dividends and your municipal bond income is getting tallied up. 
And by selling the stock and realizing a capital gain, which he needed to do because we needed out of the out of the stock, he crossed over that threshold and it pulled a large chunk of his social security into the taxable column. Mm. And he ended up paying several thousand dollars to realize that capital gain. So on one hand, you're looking at it and thinking, oh, my social security is not being taxed. Capital gains tax rate in this bracket is zero. We can go up to, you know, about $105,000 of income before that, that changes. But zap, they sneak in the provisional income calculation. And what you think is going to be a zero tax bill suddenly becomes several thousand dollars. Now the story ends well because the company stock that we sold went down and we bought something else that went up. So you don't want to let this tax calculation completely hem you in on on investment strategy and things like that. But it was a very simple situation where we thought, gosh, at these dollar amounts, I don't think there's going to be a problem. Oh, but oops, we've crossed over this other side calculation that's going on for social security. And that, that did, did trigger attacks. That's why you can't make any of these decisions in a vacuum, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got to consider the people who are impacted by this the most are the people who have multiple sources of income. And that is predominantly retirees. If we start our early working years with just W-2 income because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of savings. We're not earning a lot of dividends. We're not realizing capital gains, but yeah, maybe in your later working years or as you're nearing retirement, maybe you're beginning to see this play out where you are having some capital gains, you are having some preferential dividends. And that category of income has its own set of rates. So you, you might be thinking that uh, uh, you're going to pay 10% or 12% on certain income tax brackets, but the capital gains rate is is 15%. And, and you, you have to pay attention to where those cross, but that might be all you've encountered up until retirement. Well, when you transition into retirement, gosh, you've got potentially pensions, IRA and Roth IRA distributions, social security, dividends from preferential stocks, dividends from real estate and bond investments, ordinary interest. If you have CDs and and, uh, savings, you could have capital gains, annuities, uh, mentioned Roth IRAs. Some people have cash value in life insurance policies. And if you put long-term care insurance in place, the the proceeds from that can can potentially be tax-free. So you have all these different sources of income and it's almost like a Rubik's cube when you start combining these together, you twist one side and you're actually making a mess uh, of the tax calculation on the other side. I think that's a good illustration uh, of the Rubik's cube example. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you you think you're fixing one side up and you almost have all the colors there, but you realize that you've totally messed up that other side that you had almost solved or maybe even already solved and you've got to go back and figure out a new solution to it. And uh, it'd be nice if it was all as simple as the Social Security calculation and just, you know, knowing where that threshold was and that was the only input. That's all we had to worry about. That would make the math easy. But it seems like everybody that you're probably working with, Brian, has two, three, four, five, maybe even more different sources of income that now enter into the equation during the retirement years. So I see why all these trap doors all of a sudden start popping up. 
Yeah, and to be fair, as far as the Rubik's Cube, I only ever got good at solving maybe one or two sides of it at a time. Uh, I could never master the full Rubik's Cube. Uh, I will claim a little better uh, proficiency on the uh, the tax calculation. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Probably a better skill to master is the, the tax calculations than the Rubik's Cube, although the Rubik's Cube is certainly impressive. Yeah, so anyway, uh, what, what I wanted to do is not necessarily impart an understanding of all of these dollar amounts and, and all of the uh, tax rates and implications, but I do want to point out a number of hotspots where if you are close to this dollar number, if you are about to cross these dollar numbers, you want to be very mindful and very careful of crossing them in very small increments because just crossing one threshold can actually change or trigger a you know, one of these traps that we're talking about. So if you're familiar with the progressive tax code, when you are earning from twenty-seven dollars to $45,000, you're, you're jumping from a 0% tax bracket to about a 10% bracket. That's a 10, a 10 percentage point difference. Then from forty-five dollars to 105000 that, that's probably a more, a more common bracket, you're crossing from the 12 into the 22% bracket. So that's a 10% incremental uh, jump there at that point. And then the, the next big jump, I, I think you go from the 22 to the 24% for a while. So that's, that's a couple points. But if you get up above 350,000, and these are all joint income numbers, single, it's, it, they're a lot smaller. I'm just focusing on joint uh, for, for sake of illustration. But $350,000, you jump from the 24 to the 32% bracket. And that's eight percentage points of difference. So just right there, those, those are some navigation points where you want to say, if we could stay above or below these amounts or max out those amounts. So if you're, if you're in the 12% bracket, can you fill that 12% bracket up so you're actually earning more dollars, getting more IRA distributions, converting to Roths? There's, there's a lot of opportunities there where you can stay in that 12% bracket and you want to take advantage of those while you can, but if you're crossing over into the 22% bracket, that may put the brakes on or change the math of the calculation. And then the same thing from going from 24 to 32%. Income from working, or is this from all, all income sources would go into these, into these numbers? Yeah, all, all income sources, yeah. and this is taxable income, and you may have deductions and you know, itemized deductions that change this. You may have children. I'm not trying to give comprehensive tax advice here. I'm just, I'm just trying to point out the concept and that it really warrants sitting down and doing some planning and, and strategizing. Because if your dollars are taxed at these higher rates, that's less money going back into your pocket, like we were talking about a little bit earlier. So, all right, that makes sense for the overall, the overall view. What are some other trapdoors or some other uh, brackets that are worth paying attention to? Sure. So, so I mentioned Social Security before. And if you have less than $32,000 of provisional income, again, I'm, I'm, I'm changing categories on you here from taxable income to provisional income, because this is what Social Security looks at. But if you have $32,000 of provisional income, well, that is 
half of your social security benefit plus all other income sources. If that number is less than 32,000, your social security is taxed at zero. There's no, there's no tax on it. If you have between 30 and $44,000, again, for couples, half of your social security benefit now becomes taxable. So you have to have all income sources and then 50% of your social security benefit moves over to that right-hand column on your tax form and gets added to the taxable income calculation. And then if you go over 44,000, 85% of your social security benefit becomes taxable. Now, I understand these numbers are low, and I mentioned the compromise made back in the 80s to make social security benefits taxable above certain income levels. And in the 1980s, these numbers were significantly higher in real dollar terms than they are today. Those numbers were not indexed for inflation. And so we are stuck today with these very, very low thresholds for social security becoming taxable. Sometimes, and hopefully things are going well enough that you know, maybe you just have to say there's nothing much we can do about this, but there may be you know, certain years where social security could be your only source of income, or if we accelerated IRA distributions before you started social security, there's a lot you can do with the timing of different income sources to maybe potentially take advantage of this. And for those that are out there thinking that municipal bonds are a panacea, oh, I don't have taxable income. I've got all my, all my interest is coming in from municipal bonds. Well, for the social security calculation, that municipal bond income counts as part of your provisional income. So if you have $50,000 worth of municipal bond income, uh, potentially, and then you've got uh, $35,000, $40,000 worth of social security benefit, boom, 85% of that social security benefit now becomes taxable. So it's, uh, it is what it is. It, 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 it's necessary and it's one of the steps that they've taken to save and keep Social Security solvent, but there, there's really not an easy way around this one. But in the example I gave earlier, you know, that, that capital gains tax did, did trigger someone falling from a 0% tax into owing several thousand dollars of tax. So Social Security, uh, you kind of, you, you pay tax on it, essentially, originally felt like you were paying it as a tax and then you're getting taxed on it again on the tail end, at least that's how it feels. Um, no, no, that, that's exactly right. right. And, and what, what is that? I'm, I'm going to get off on a social security tangent here, but what, what <laughs> is that without calling that? Well, they didn't want to cut social security benefits, but it is right. But they've means tested it. Oh, you're, you're making over $44,000 a year. You're one of those rich guys. You don't need all of your benefits. So, so here's, here's your whole benefit. Oh, but then now we're going to move it over to the taxable column and then we're going to you know, take some of it back. So they didn't cut social security benefits, but they, they effectively means tested it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. We can tell that it starts to get a little bit complicated and all we've really done is added social security to the equation. So we started off with just talking about overall income, then social security. You mentioned capital gains earlier. Uh, I was surprised actually to hear a little bit of that talk of 0% 
tax on capital gains in some of that discussion. Um, does that get more complex as well? Yeah. So for many, many years, the capital gains tax rate was 20%, 25%, then it got it went down to 15%. And what I like to call the uh, Investment Advisor Full Employment Act, under the Obama administration, they, they changed the rates to where the they they changed the rates to where those that were earning roughly $105,000 and less if you've got $105,000 of of income and you've got 25-27,000 of standard deduction your taxable income is about 89-90,000 if you are in that 12% bracket or below all of your capital gains and all of your preferential dividends are taxed at zero so if your only source of income was capital gains and dividends, you could earn a little over $105,000 and pay zero tax. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. But most people are by then claiming social security or they're taking distributions from IRAs. And this conventional wisdom that 401ks are, are magically you know, better or great, it sneaks up on you because if you had put money, if you'd gone ahead and paid the tax earlier and saved all your money outside of the 401k, you could be earning capital gains and uh, dividend interest up to $105,000 and all of that would make it into your pocket. And again, we're talking about capital gains in isolation here, but if you go from 105,000 up to 520,000, you pay a 15% capital gains tax rate. Huh, still not bad. That's very reasonable. But as you earn that type of income, it pushes all of your other income sources up into those top tax brackets. So it's, it, it, this can, can cut both ways again if you have multiple sources of income. Then once you go over $520,000 of income, your capital gains tax rates actually go up to 20%. So it's tiered. You have three tiers, uh, 0% up to 105,000, 15% up to 520,000, and 20% if you're earning over 520,000. And again, these numbers are for couples. Now, even as straightforward as that sounds, there's a little trip point at $250,000 of income where they tack on a 3.8% surcharge for, it was the Obamacare legislation. And so even at the middle of this capital gains, 0, 15, and 20% structure we talked about, once you cross 250, they tack on a 3.8% surcharge. So at one point, the rate actually becomes 18.8 or 23.8. And that doesn't get published as the capital gains tax rate. Most people are looking at the 0, 15, and, and 20 and forgetting about the surcharge. Another way that it just kind of slips on in there, the sur surcharge, kind of like the Social Security being taxed instead of reducing the benefit, just another way of completing the calculation. It's like when the teacher in, uh, in math in school shows, tells you to show your work, and you're like, well, I didn't do it the way you did it, teacher, but I, I did it another way. I still came up with the answer. <laughs> yeah, there, how this there's feels. these multiple, there's, there's, if this wasn't getting confusing enough, uh, there are, there's multiple calculations and, and tiers that this is kicking income into. So 
yeah, proceed with caution is is the best. Where does Medicare fit into all of this? Because I got a feeling there's there's got to be some trapdoors around that program as well. There is, and so now it's not necessarily a tax, and it's not the the like the Obamacare or Medicare surcharge that that you had on that we talked about with capital gains. But if you are uh, making as a couple over one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and you earn Instead, $170,001, your tax doesn't go up, but your Medicare supplement premiums will go up anywhere from $700 to $5,000 per person. Wow. Big, big range. Yeah. And, and that's based, I mean, that goes up dramatically with income. So if, if you're earning, my, my point is if, if you're earning $169,999, be real careful about realizing a capital gain, taking a distribution from an IRA. Those things in one year could tip you over that dollar amount. And you may be saying, well, you know, I'm not going to have $170,000 worth of income. Well, if you are trying to make a major purchase, if you're buying into a home or a continuing care a retirement facility or, or any of those things, you may have a year where you have to take a larger amount out of an IRA, sell some stock to realize the, and to realize some gains to generate the amount that you need. And there may be a year where you could realize that type of income. That may not be year to year, but once you hit that, you're going to get kicked up into a higher Medicare supplement premium and you know, an additional $1,000 per person for that $1 of extra income. What's the marginal income tax rate on that? You know, 200,000% or whatever the... <laughs> calculation comes out to be not good so, not good yeah so so i mean literally i mean you you'll you'll pay a thousand that one dollar will cost you a thousand dollars in not a tax to be fair but in a pro one of these programs that that we're all participating in it's all about how much money ends up in your pocket at the end of the day and by making an extra dollar you're actually effectively taking out a thousand dollars out of your pocket Absolutely. Okay. Per person. So that would be $2,000 per couple. Per person. Per person. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. All right. If you're both, at, yeah, if you're both over 65. That one definitely fits the definition of a trap door, I would say. You think you're getting, oh, that, that's, you, you think you're getting one thing. Hey, I made an extra dollar. And in reality, you've stepped into the, you've stepped into the trap door, the hole in the floor is there. Yeah. That, that one is super deadly. Yeah, absolutely. Any others we should mention? Well, I'm going to make one mention too, for, for those that are still maybe in their peak earning years or had children later or, or have some, some high income years, the tax reform that we've got under Trump was did away with the uh, exemption for children and it turned into a tax credit. So you get $2,000 per child as a tax credit. But if you cross the $400,000 mark, you lose that child tax credit. So when I, when I tell people, I, uh, my, my favorite Trump word I think that he invented was, was bigly. We want to cross these thresholds, either bigly, go way past them, or stay just under them. Because that couple thousand dollars of Medicare premium, the loss of $2,000 per child uh, tax credit can actually be a significant number. So you, you want, if you can, 
to the extent that you can manage your income and, and not cross those numbers, it can be worth thousands of dollars. So the progressive tax of, let me make sure I'm tracking all of this okay. The, the, the general progressive tax that we're used to in our working years, we're not really decentivized to go make that extra dollar. Like as we cross those thresholds, yes, we're going to pay more, but it's a progressive tax. So you're only paying more on those additional dollars that you cross. However, when we start throwing in all these other complications that we typically will start hitting in our retirement years, it doesn't necessarily follow that same logic. Now we actually have situations where you can pass into additional thresholds that cause such additional taxes that it can actually undo the gains that you've, that you've accomplished. And that's why retirement planning requires so much of this work, so much of this level of detail versus in our working years where the math is just, without having a better way to say it, just simpler. Yeah, well, and I would say uh, retirement or if you're in your peak earning years. Okay. So if, if as, as you're vectoring in on retirement, presumably you're you're maybe in your your peak earning years, and um, you know some of these different rates for capital gains and the surcharges and the loss of the the child tax credits may be may be very applicable, and you want to actually use that window of opportunity to begin to position assets into different tax structures so that you do have some flexibility, you do have some options, you do have some lump sums that you can access if, if need be, so that you don't have to pull all of the money out of a IRA and, and cause all taxable income, or you don't have to uh, realize all capital gains to, to, to push you over some of those thresholds. So yeah, it, it's, it's very complicated. And it, I, I worked very hard to try to simplify these and come up with the dollar thresholds and, and help people understand where these traps exist. I think at the end of the day, if you don't sit down with a proper calculator uh, that can incorporate the different tax rates at these different levels and from these different sources of income, you are inadequately planning uh, for your retirement income. And when you say calculator, I don't think you mean physical calculator. You mean someone doing the calculations and helping, helping with the human input and analysis of this kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So increasingly, the uh, the the financial technology world has blossomed, and there are overwhelmingly it was very difficult and expensive to create true financial planning calculators, software, and and a lot of those things were cal were designed to sell a specific product. Uh, when I was at one of the big brokerage firms, we we had a we actually did a very low cost financial plan. It was a couple hundred dollars and. We'd, we'd do this complex plan, but magically all of the recommendations that came back were for the <laughs> products that we offered. They, it was always and, the same input, but no matter what you did. It's like one of those quizzes you take online where it's like, what what movie star are you? and Or what would your wrestler name be? And no matter what variables you put in, it seems to spit out the same three or four responses. And you're like, okay, I see how they made this little silly online right, quiz. Right, right. <laughs> Very simplified. And and the same would be true of insurance. You know, if if you if you're dealing with an insurance company, magically all of the solutions to your problem, you know, involve insurance. So you you don't want something that's geared for a product sale. Uh, some of these quickie online calculators and and uh, you know linear calculations, they're they're a good quick and dirty way to, to to get to a number. But to really create a withdrawal strategy that makes sense, you have to incorporate the tax overlay, 
these tax thresholds and the, the source and the timing of the income. And there are some fantastic tools that have, that have hit the market that are available to independent advisors. And, and we can go and use those and um, access some real high powered uh, tools to help get to the best plan, the best strategy, the best timing of, of, of activating these different sources of income and, and help people get to the best solution. So good news. So uh, last thing for you then, how do, uh, you know, how does all of this information fit into your planning process? And if folks are worried about falling into one of these tax trap doors, uh, what can they do about it? What does the process look like? How does it unfold with you? Yeah, great question, Walter. And if you are interested in learning more, we have a great place to get started. If you go to livingworth.com and click the let's get started button, that will take you to our retirement mindset scorecard. And that will give you a way to do a self-assessment. We'll, we'll come back and see if there's some areas where we can help you. And if you want to talk about your specific situation, there's also a link to uh, book a call. We could do a 15 minute call. And just, if you want to throw a couple scenarios or, or questions at me, uh, no obligation, obviously you can, uh, you can do that as well from the website. So again, go to livingworth.com and we'll put a link in the description of today's show so you can easily get there and click on the let's get started button when you get to the homepage and that'll walk you through the process and allow you to take advantage of all those resources. Again, that's livingworth.com. If you prefer the old school method of getting in touch, of course, the phone's always on and working. 706-451-9800 is your number to call if you have any direct questions for Brian and the team. 706-451-9800. But again, the easy way to do it is to go to livingworth.com and get lots of great information there on the site. You can also listen to past episodes of the podcast, find subscribe links, and much more on the website. Well, Brian, thanks for walking through this. I know it was a lot of numbers, but it was easy to understand, eye-opening as well, to see some of these trap doors. And uh, I feel like I got a little smarter on today's show, so I thank you. Yeah, I hope it makes sense and wasn't too confusing, but uh, we can help you cut through the the, the mumbo-jumbo and the intricacies of it and, and get a good solution for you. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you for joining us on the show today. Enjoyed it as always. And uh, thank you for listening to the program and for joining us once again. For Brian, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.